Well, amen. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22. We are in the fourth and final section of the Gospel of Luke, a series that we're calling Jesus Period. In this section, we're calling the King of Glory. And we are in the final days before Jesus is to be crucified and buried and risen from the dead. And so this is the most important week in the history of humanity. And so we are looking at probably what's familiar to most of us today, Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. So if you have a copy of God's Word, read along with me. This is the Word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these last days of Jesus' life before his death. We thank you that we are told how he desired to eat a meal with his disciples. And so, Lord, as we seek to hear from you today, God, would you show us a picture of just how amazing this meal was. And that it, as we gather Sunday after Sunday, that we get invited into that meal. 
We get invited into that grace and into that same love. And so, God, would you help us to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus over and over? Bless us. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Last Supper is one of the most famous paintings ever. It was painted over 500 years ago by Leonardo da Vinci. He painted that famous scene on the wall of a church in Milan, Italy. And it's the scene of Jesus' last meal with his disciples before his death. You know, this painting has been studied and marveled at for centuries. Some people claim that it holds clues to the true identity of Jesus. Others think that there are actually musical notes hidden in this picture and you can play a song from it. Some say there's a math formula in there that predicts the end of the world. I don't know that that's true or not, but whatever you believe about this painting, there's no denying that it's famous. I was once at a church talking with some youth about this Last Supper painting that was hanging in one of the classrooms. And this young kid says, yeah, I've seen it. My mom has the clock. I'm sure da Vinci would have been so proud to know that his amazing painting had been turned into a clock. You know, people have been staring at this painting for centuries, over and over. They're looking at the arrangement of the disciples. They're looking at the posture that Jesus has in the painting. They're looking at the lines and the colors and the shapes. Some say you can gaze at this painting and never see all that there is to see. You know, we've come to the Last Supper of Jesus today in the Gospel of Luke. And the danger for us today is thinking that we've already seen all that there is to see in this story. Maybe it's familiar to you. Maybe it's not. But friends, God is calling us today to see that this was the most important meal in the history of the world. You might be thinking, what's the big deal? Jesus is eating with his disciples. But friends, this is the most important meal that has ever happened. The religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus. Satan is scheming to destroy the Son of God. The disciples are completely oblivious to the chaos that's coming for them that night. And there's Jesus eating with his friends, knowing that his hour has come, knowing that by this time tomorrow, he'll be dead. So friends, as God's word speaks to us today, let's come to this scene with open hearts and open eyes. Let's see in this meal the depths of our sin and the heights of our Savior's love for us. My prayer is that we, as we look to this meal that we would have eyes and hearts to gaze at our Savior over and over and over again. So let's look and see what God has for us. First, see the darkness plotting. See the darkness plotting. So Luke tells us in verse 1 that the feast of the unleavened bread has drawn near. This was the greatest Jewish holiday of the year. It began with the Passover meal and was followed by a seven-day feast. Hundreds of thousands of Jews 
would have come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast. It would have been a joyous holiday with feasting and singing and praying and worshiping in the temple. There would have been an excitement and a wonder in the air, especially since just a few days earlier, Jesus rode into town looking like Israel's next best king. But behind all of that excitement, there was a darkness growing. Luke tells us in verse 2 that the chief priests and the scribes are seeking a way to put Jesus to death. These religious leaders didn't like Jesus. He didn't play by their rules, and he often exposed their sin. And you see, we saw a few weeks ago, they worked really hard to try to discredit Jesus as they debated him in the temple. But they failed. And so as Jesus is growing more and more popular with the crowds, the only way to get rid of him now is to kill him. And Jesus knew it. All the way back in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he plainly told his disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem. The chief priests and the scribes are going to reject me, and I'm going to be killed. But how would they do it? How could they kill Jesus with all of these people around? Wouldn't there be an uproar from the crowds if they tried to kill him? Well, the darkness found a way. Judas, one of his disciples, goes to these religious leaders and offers to betray Jesus. And with joy, they agree to pay him money for his services. And so then Judas begins to find an opportunity to betray Jesus without all the people around. You see, these religious leaders and Judas are plotting the death of Jesus. But there's more happening here. Luke tells us in verse 3 that it was Satan who entered into Judas. And later in chapter 22, Jesus is going to say that this hour belongs to the power of darkness. God's words is helping us to see that behind all of this plotting, there is a power working for evil. Since the very beginning, there has been a war raging against God and his good rule over creation. That ancient serpent, the devil, has been scheming and working to destroy all of God's good plans. We saw him in chapter 4 show up and, and tempt Jesus in the wilderness. But when his temptations failed, Luke tells us, he departed until an opportune time. Well, that opportune time is now. These religious leaders want Jesus dead, and here is one of his own disciples willing to betray him. Do you see the darkness plotting? You know, this makes sense that the darkness would be trying to destroy Jesus. He's God's chosen king. He's the promised deliverer. He's heaven's favorite. To kill the Son of God would be the greatest evil that could ever be unleashed on the world. But what the darkness doesn't know is that the death of Jesus will actually be the greatest good this world will ever know. You see, these powers of darkness are just pawns in the hands of a sovereign God. They can rage and scheme all they want. They can take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. But in the end, God will 
prevail. Jesus will win. He will crush Satan. He will put every spiritual power under his feet, and he will destroy them all. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world filled with this same darkness. There are powers and authorities seeking to destroy us. But friends, the darkness will not win. I know there are times when it seems like the darkness is winning. The suffering you face might seem too heavy. The sorrows might seem too deep. The temptation might seem too strong. But take heart. The light of Jesus shines brighter. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. The darkness can plot all that it wants for our ruin, but it will not win. We are free from every plan of darkness, and we can rejoice in Jesus' victory. So brothers and sisters, see the darkness plotting and see a Savior who has overcome the darkness for our sake. See the darkness. Number two, see the plan unfolding. The plan unfolding. So Luke tells us in verse 7 that the day of the Passover has come. We are now on Thursday of Passion Week. If you remember, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Sunday. He drove the money changers out of the temple on Monday. On Tuesday, he went to the temple and was teaching and debated the religious leaders. On Wednesday, he's teaching more and telling his disciples of what will come. We saw that last week. And now it's Thursday. And all over the city, everyone would have been preparing to celebrate the Passover meal together. And so Jesus tells two of his disciples, Peter and John, to go and prepare the meal for them. And they don't really know where, and so Jesus tells them. And what happens next is like a scene out of a spy movie, right? Jesus is like, look, go into the city, and this guy carrying a jar of water is going to come and find you. Follow him to a house, and when you get there, say like this secret code to the master. The teacher says, where shall I eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he's going to show you this big upper room with everything ready. He says, go there, prepare the meal there. And sure enough, everything happened just like Jesus had said. You see, these religious leaders are plotting the death of Jesus, and he knows that Judas is about to betray him. Jesus knows all of this, but he doesn't want to miss this one last Passover with his friends. And so he makes all of these arrangements in secret to hide the location from Judas. And you see, Jesus' plans for this meal are unfolding perfectly here. But again, there's more happening. There's not just a plan for a perfect meal unfolding. There is the perfect plan for the salvation of the world happening here. You see, it's no accident that Jesus chose the Passover as the time of his death. The Passover was the yearly celebration of how God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Remember, God had sent Moses to tell the king of Egypt to let my people go. And the king refused, and so God sent the ten plagues upon the land of Egypt. And the tenth plague was the worst. 
God was sending an angel of death to take the lives of every single firstborn in the land. And the only way then for the firstborn to be saved would be to kill a lamb and to spread its blood on the doorpost of the house. And if they did that, then the death angel would pass over that home and would spare the firstborn sons. And you see, it was through this act that the whole nation was finally set free from oppression. And so for thousands of years, the Jewish people would gather in their homes and in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. Luke tells us in verse 7 that this was the day of Passover when the Lamb had to be sacrificed. You see, all throughout the city, people would be buying lambs. They would take them to the temple and they would have them sacrificed. They would take these lambs to their homes and they would eat and they would remember. And they would celebrate how God had rescued his people. But you see, this meal was just a symbol of a greater rescue that God would bring through another lamb. You see, Abraham looked forward to a day when on the mount of the Lord, a lamb would be provided. Isaiah saw the day when the servant of the Lord would suffer for his people like a lamb led to the slaughter. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus is planning to eat with his friends, but there is a greater plan at work, a plan for the Lamb of God to die for the sins of his people. You see, God's plan from the very beginning has been to rescue his people through the death of Jesus. This is why the Bible can speak of Jesus being slain before the foundations of the world. It has always been the plan for Jesus to die. And that plan is unfolding here perfectly. Do you see the plan unfolding? Now, there's some who want us to believe that the death of Jesus was just a tragic mistake. That poor man just got, found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he got himself killed. Didn't Jesus say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord? And so here is the Lamb of God just hours away from laying down his life, and the plan is working perfectly. Have you ever felt like God's plan is not working perfectly? I know there's been times in my life when I have wondered, what in the world are you doing, God? Your plan doesn't seem to be working. If you've never felt that way, you're, you're not alone. And you're not without hope. Just look at how God is working his perfect plan through Jesus to bring rescue and redemption to the world. Brothers and sisters, in Christ you are right at the center of God's glorious plan. The Lamb has come to bring you rescue and to shower us with eternal blessings. Your world might feel like it's falling apart, but in Christ, the plan is working. You are right where God wants you to be. 
You are right at the center of God's plan to lavish you with his love and his grace in Jesus. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The firstborn son of God was offered in our place. And listen, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, see the plan unfolding. See the lamb who is always working to rescue and to bless us. See that plan unfold. Number three, next, see the Savior giving. So Luke tells us in verse 14 that the time of the meal has come and Jesus reclined with his disciples. Now you see, the painting is great, but it's wrong. Jesus did not sit at a table. He is literally laying on his side with his disciples. That's what they would do. And Jesus is hosting this ceremony. And he tells his disciples he has greatly desired to eat this meal with them. Now, this is certainly not shocking because Jesus has spent the whole book of Luke eating meals. It was kind of his thing. Someone once said that in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, leaving a meal, or heading to a meal. And so in many ways, this meal is just like all the others We've seen over and over. We see a Jesus who welcomes outsiders. A Jesus who feasts with the people that nobody wants. A Jesus who's willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners. But there's something different about this meal. Jesus tells his disciples this will be the last meal before he suffers. He knows the cross is coming for him. And there is nowhere he would rather be than sharing this meal with his friends. So in verse 17, he begins this meal before his death. He takes a cup and tells the disciples to pass it around. This was probably the first of four cups that they would pass during the ceremony. And Jesus begins then to lead his disciples through the ceremony of the meal. In verse 19, we see Jesus take bread and break it. You see, this was a common part of the ceremony. And the host of the meal would say this prayer. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. But then Jesus says something that no one has ever said before. This is my body, which is given for you. In those eight words, Jesus completely transformed the Passover meal. You see, a meal that looked back to the lamb centuries ago now looks forward to the death of Jesus. That broken bread that symbolized how quickly they left Egypt would now symbolize a body that would be broken on the cross. And Jesus didn't stop there. After they finished eating, he took another cup and said something else that no one had ever said before. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Again, Jesus is completely transforming the Passover meal. This cup that symbolized the redemption from slavery is now a cup that symbolizes the redemption from sin. 
A cup that once looked back to the blood of lamb would now look forward to the blood of Jesus. The cup of wrath that had been poured out on God's enemies would now be poured out on Jesus. He's about to shed his blood to bring forgiveness and redemption to his people and to establish a new covenant. You see, when God saved his people from Egypt, he made a covenant with them, but it didn't work. They were unfaithful to God. And so the prophets told of a day when God would make a new covenant with his people, when God would do a new work to save them once and for all. And so they waited and waited for centuries for this new covenant. The disciples would have waited their entire lives for God to bring salvation. And here, in this moment, in this upper room, this teacher from Nazareth says the new covenant has finally come. God's Savior had finally come. And he had come to give. Notice that Jesus says, this is my body given for you. And notice how he says, this is the cup poured out for you. You see, Jesus is playing the part of the gracious host here at the meal. But he's giving his friends so much more than just a good dinner. He's giving himself. He's giving his body broken. He's given his shed blood to them. This meal is not just a picture of what's going to happen on the cross as Jesus dies. This meal is a testimony that Jesus' salvation has been given to sinners as a gift. A gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is a gift. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. He gave himself. Do, do you see the Savior giving? You see, if you think that life is all about what you can do for God, you're doing it wrong. The Christian life is not about being good enough. It's not about trying harder. It's not about your religious deeds. It's not about performing well. Our lives as Christians are about receiving and resting in the gracious gift of Jesus. Yes, we must obey the Lord. Yes, we must strive for holiness. Yes, we must live for the glory of God. But all of that is just fruit, fruit that grows in the soil of this gracious gift. Our salvation is a gift. Our forgiveness is a gift. Our freedom from sin is a gift. Our adoption as sons and daughters is a gift. Our new birth is a gift. Our holiness is a gift. 
Our growth is a gift. Our obedience is a gift. Friends, our Savior is a giving Savior. And His body was broken and His blood was poured out so that He would never stop giving Himself to us. There is never coming a day when Jesus will say, That's enough. That's enough grace. That's enough love. That's enough mercy. That's enough kindness. That's enough comfort. That's enough peace. That's enough of me. Jesus will never stop giving himself to us. I wonder, have you ever received that gift? Maybe you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus. Friends, your only hope of eternal life and only hope of escaping the judgment of God is this gift of Jesus. It's a gift we receive by faith. You see, you'll never be good enough. You'll never earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. And so the only way is through receiving this gracious gift of Jesus. I've got good news. If you would repent of your sins and believe In Jesus, you'll be saved. You can do that right now. Right here at your seat. You can call upon the name of Jesus to save you. Why not accept the gift of His grace today? What's keeping you from receiving salvation in His name? Friends, we serve a giving Savior. So receive and rest in His gracious gift. See the Savior giving. And lastly, as we close, see the meal proclaiming. Look again at verse 19. After Jesus gives the disciple bread, he tells them what? He says, do this in remembrance of me. You see, the Passover meal was a meal of remembrance. God commanded his people to share this meal every year to remember how he had rescued them from slavery. So every single year, the Jewish people would gather in their homes to remember what God had done for them. There's actually a part of the ceremony where the youngest child in the room would say, what do you mean by this service? Or why are we doing this? Why are we eating this meal? And in that moment, the father or the host of the meal would take time to retell the story of how God had saved them from slavery in Egypt. We say here in this moment in the upper room, Jesus is saying, listen, this is a new meal and you're going to remember something new. You're going to have a meal that doesn't look back to the Exodus, but one that looks back to the cross. A meal that doesn't celebrate deliverance from Egypt, but one that celebrates deliverance from our sin. And here in this moment, Jesus is telling his followers to remember him through this meal. You see, this meal that we call the Lord's Supper, it's more than just a nice religious thing to do on Sundays. It's not like, what what could we do that seems religious and a ritual? Let's have a little Lord's Supper. That's not what this is. It is a simple meal. You might even say it's not much of a meal. A little wafer and a little cup of juice, it doesn't seem like much. 
There is so much beauty and meaning in this meal that we celebrate each Sunday. You see, this meal is an act of remembrance. That's what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we eat this meal, we remember Jesus. We remember that his body was broken and that his blood was poured out for us. And listen, I don't know about you, but I know about me that I need to get in this line each and every week and remember Jesus. I need to remember that no matter what happened this past week, Jesus still loves me. He still welcomes me to the table. I need to remember that he forgives every sinful word I've spoken to my boys that week. I need to remember that he covers the shame of every rude response I've given to my wife this week. I need to remember that he cleanses me from the lust of my eyes and the pride of my heart. I need to remember Jesus. We need to remember Jesus. This meal is an act of remembrance. But it's also an act of community. When Jesus says, do this, he means, in, in our language, y'all do this, right, in the South. Y'all do this together. Y'all do this in remembrance of me. Listen, the Lord's Supper is not just about you and Jesus. It's about Jesus and the people he loves the church. This meal declares that we are one in Christ. We share one body. We drink one blood. There is one Lord and Savior over all, and we are together his people. Listen, that's why we love having everyone come up front to receive the meal together. Is that the easiest way to celebrate the Lord's table? Probably not. Does it take a lot of time? It does. But don't you just love seeing the people that Jesus has welcomed to his table? Young and old, rich and poor, white and black, American and Congolese, UK fans and Duke fans at the same table together. You see, this meal declares that the most important thing about us is not our backgrounds, not our bank accounts, not our ethnicities, but Jesus. His body broken and his blood poured out for us. This meal is an act of community, but it's also an act of proclamation. Notice that Jesus mentions his coming kingdom. He tells his disciples that he's not going to eat this meal again until it's all fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's not going to drink from the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom comes. You see, the Passover meal for the Jews was even a picture of a greater meal that would come in the end. And that wine that they drank was a symbol of the blessings that would flow when the Messiah brought the kingdom of heaven once and for all. And so here is Jesus saying, listen, I'm waiting for that day when I'm going to come again and I will feast together with all of my people. You see, friends, the Lord's Supper is not a time to wrinkle our foreheads and to feel sorry for Jesus. 
Yes, we remember that Jesus has died, but he did not stay dead. He's alive. And every time that we celebrate this meal together, we are proclaiming Christ is risen. Jesus is alive. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because, friends, Jesus is coming. He's coming. Do you see this meal proclaiming? You see, every week that we gather at the Lord's table, we are proclaiming. We are proclaiming that there is a last supper waiting for us, too. Because when he comes, Jesus will feast with his people forever. You see, all the plotting and the scheming of darkness will be gone, and Jesus will win. All the perfect plans of God will be finally fulfilled. He will complete that good work that he began in us. And the lamb that was slain will be seated on the throne, ready to give himself to his people for all of eternity. And on that day, all the ransomed of God from every nation and tribe and tongue will pull up a chair. And we will feast forever at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is in heaven right now, right at this moment, earnestly desiring that we would come to his feast. Isn't that amazing? He wants us there. He's prepared a place for us. And he's waiting to feast with us forever. So let's keep our eyes and our hearts on him. Let's gaze at his love over and over and over again. And let's long for the day when we will see him and we will feast with him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he would be willing to welcome sinners like us into his kingdom and at his table. Sinners who were enemies of his. Sinners who were unwilling to worship and to bow the knee to Jesus. But sinners who by his grace he has forgiven and made new, and cleansed, and clothed so that we can come to the meal, so that we can be invited to the feast. Lord, we thank you that as we look at our lives and we see the darkness scheming and plotting, that it will not win. In the end, Jesus will crush Satan under his feet. He will put every power under his feet, and he will destroy them. So help us to trust you when the darkness seems too strong. 
Lord, we thank you for your perfect plan that unfolded through the death of Christ on the cross. We thank you that our lives by faith get swept up into that plan and that, Lord, we get to partake in the blessings that you want to shower upon us in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that meal that showed that a Savior was willing to suffer and to die for his people. We thank you that he was willing to have his body broken on the cross and his blood poured out and that he was willing to give himself to his disciples and to us and that he's willing to do that forever. Lord, praise be to God that there will never be a day where Jesus says, that's enough, that's enough of me, I'm done giving. But he will give and give and give to us for all of eternity. Lord, I pray for those who have never received that gracious gift that Jesus is willing to offer to any who would repent and believe. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that they receive the grace of Jesus, the gift of God of salvation in his name. Lord, give them the strength to repent of their sins and the faith to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And for those of us who are in Christ, help us to rest and to receive that grace over and over and over again. And Lord, we thank you for this meal that proclaims the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God, we do this each and every week and we don't get to pause and think about it like we have today. So God, would you help it to not be stale or help us not just to go through the motions when we do this, but to truly remember Jesus, to truly celebrate our union together as the body of Christ and to truly proclaim his death together until he comes. God, would you help us to fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus Would you help us to gaze at his love over and over and over again? And God, would you help us to long for the day when we see him face to face and we eat at his table forever? God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.